Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace. Thank you for saving us. You are worthy of our praise in all of our lives. Lord, we thank you that we get to hear your word read and preached now. And uh, please soften our hearts, prepare our hearts, give us ears to listen and the hearts to apply what we uh, hear and learn this morning. Encourage us and equip us for your glory. Amen. This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And uh, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, uh, my name's Duncan. If we haven't met, um, great to check, uh, catch up afterwards. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour. And we are in the middle of a series looking at the relationships revolution that Jesus brought about in the first century and he brings about with us today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into this um, really powerful passage. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, our hearts are so often so restless. Uh, we look to the things of this world to satisfy us. But only you can satisfy us. And we thank you, Father, for the precious gift of your word. And so we pray now that your spirit might open us, open our hearts and our minds and our wills to hear and receive and obey your word. And we pray that for your glory, for the building up of your church, so that your name is, might be honoured. Your name might be honoured uh, here and everywhere. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever found yourself thinking, if only, dot, dot, dot. I think most of us probably have. Uh, if only the Swans played better in the grand final. Um, there's lots of if onlys that you can think of, right? Uh, sometimes it has to do with our possessions. If only I had that next gadget. My device is already three weeks old, so it's time for an upgrade. <laughs> if only I had that car then I would go on all those adventures that you see on the ads, right? You know, I'd be on the, on the beach, through the forest every weekend. 
uh, or if only I had that house, or it, you know, often it's to do with possessions, sometimes it's to do with ourselves. If only my body was different to the one I've been given. If only I didn't have this sickness or this disposition or these looks. But often, though, our if-onlys are about external circumstances, right? They're about external circumstances or relationships outside of ourselves. If only I didn't come from that background. If only I didn't have that family. If only I didn't have that job. Well, uh, I reckon most of us can pick up that discontentment is a mark of our world, isn't it? Discontentment is a mark of our culture. Uh, it's kind of fueled by materialism and advertising that kind of just soaks us with the, the need for more always. We're so deeply conditioned to always be thinking this, if only, if only, if only. And there's something like that going on for the Christians in Corinth. Uh, their if only seems to have, seem to have had a spiritual goal. If only this were different, then I'd be able to be a proper Christian. Then I'd really fit in to Jesus' people. Uh, we, we had a glimpse of that last week. If you remember, at the start of chapter 7, some in the church are saying, now that I've come to Christ, now that I've become a Christian, now that my, my main allegiance is to him, does that mean I need to, you know, maybe I need to stop living as a married person? If only I was single. I would be much more faithful to God. And we heard that last week, right? Paul says, no. If you're married, you honour God with your body precisely by fully embracing your marriage and faithfully living in it. Uh, next week, we're going to reflect on Paul's really powerful teaching about singleness. So the, the chapter is kind of this, um, has this structure to it. A marriage at the start, singleness at the end. But what we get in these middle verses, right at the heart of this chapter, is like the theological hearts of what Paul is saying. Uh, in another letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, he, he wrote this really interesting line. He said that he has learned to be content in any circumstance, whatever the circumstances. So, friends, contentment is something that can be learned. And what, what we have in this little section right at the heart of this chapter, these rich verses, are deep truths that are there to teach us true, deep, gospel-shaped contentment. And in our world of discontentment, that really is revolutionary. Uh, if we can grasp something of this and live in its light. That really is revolutionary. Well, Paul's main point is clear, actually, and you would have hopefully picked it up as we read through. It comes up three times. He says it three times. Verse 17, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Uh, skip down to verse 20. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And then at the end, uh, 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So that's the kind of, that, that's Paul's big point here. Uh, but we do need to think a little bit carefully about what he's saying. And it might be helpful to think about what he's not saying. He can't be saying... Remain in a pattern of sinful behaviour. 
So you had anger issues when God called you, so just stay like that. Uh, You were sleeping around with numerous people when when you became a Christian, so just keep doing that. That can't be what it means. That would contradict everything else that Paul's written in this chapter uh, and writes elsewhere. Uh, So it's, it's not saying that. It's also not saying you must never change your circumstances. Uh, You're kind of locked into one mode for the rest of your life and it's wrong to change jobs, move house, take up a new hobby. (laughs) Uh, That can't be what Paul's saying. All through this chapter, what Paul's doing is he's not just laying kind of one-size-fits-all simplistic um, rules. He is applying the truth of the gospel with real pastoral wisdom, with flexibility, Uh, So you might have picked up as we read through in this passage later on, he explicitly tells slaves to change their circumstance and gain their freedom if they can. Uh, We saw last week he says if if you're if you're single, he thinks that's a it's it's really good to stay that way. But if you want to marry, and presumably if there's someone else who wants to marry you, (laughs) then go ahead, then go ahead. There's, There's freedom there. So he it can't be saying you must never change your circumstances. But what is, what is going on here? What is Paul saying? Well, here's what he's saying. Don't think that changing your circumstances will somehow fix all your problems and especially don't think it will make you more spiritual or more able to be faithful to God. Don't wait for some change in the circumstances of your life before you start living out the gospel in all of your life. His, so his point, there, and I've put it like this on the sheet, on the um, outline, on your handout, is that you can, and that you should, live a faithful life right now, in whatever circumstance you're in. So remain and live as a believer in the life you have right now. Uh, And what Paul does through the rest of this um, passage is he gives us three really powerful reasons for this. Really powerful reasons that, if we grasp it, uh, are utterly transforming. Uh, The first one you might have seen is kind of woven all through this passage. Uh, There's a whole bunch of references on the outline there, Uh, but you get it mainly in verse 17, or it comes up first right at the start. Uh, Verse 17, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer... In whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Almost every verse in this passage talks about the call of God. The call of God. It's so fundamental to what God is saying to us here in this passage. Friends, there is no circumstance of your life that takes God by surprise. There's no circumstance of your life that is out of his control or somehow beyond his power. In fact, Paul says even more than that, right? He says God assigns us our situations. He has given you life and he has placed you in your family uh, in, in his providence, in his providence, you are who you are and where you are and what you are. And what's more than that, that's kind of general for everyone, what's more than that, if you're a Christian, God has called you to himself. Uh, he, he didn't say, God didn't say, look, 
I'll wait till you change your circumstances before I'll call you into my kingdom. I'll wait till you're a bit more impressive, you've got a better job, you have a more perfect family. Uh, God didn't say that, right? In his sovereign grace, he called you to faith in him in your situation. And that means he calls you to live for him in your situation. So it opens up the whole topic of God's providence and his sovereign election. And they're huge topics, right? And we're not going to go into them all now. But just notice how they're just assumed in this passage. They're just assumed in this passage. And believing this about God has always been a deep, fundamental source of comfort for God's people. Uh, Listen to this. This is how one um, of the 16th century reformed documents called the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, if you, you can look it up, brilliant, uh, a brilliant thing to reflect on. A series of question and answers that take you through the whole year. This is how um, that, that document puts it. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade Rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The next question asks this in, the, in this catechism, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Listen to this answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. I think that's just a really powerful articulation of what's behind what Paul is saying here. God's sovereignty is the first and fundamental reason why Paul says that you can and you should live faithful lives for him right now in the situation God has placed you in. Without restless discontentment, without constantly wishing you were somewhere else before you start living for Jesus. But there's two other reasons that God gives us here in this word. There's two other reasons. And, and Paul uses some really interesting examples to make his points. He focuses on these two most significant divisions in the ancient world. And the divisions of race and divisions of social class. You know, they're, they're still <laughs> significant divisions today, but they were really significant in the ancient world. And I think it's so interesting what he does. Look at verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called, he should not be circumcised. So circumcision was, and it still is, a primary kind of racial marker for the Jewish people. And the question of whether, you, whether or not you were circumcised became this massive uh, question that the early church had to wrestle with. All through the Old Testament, this was the sign that marked out God's people from the rest of the world. Uh, and whether, whether Christians this side of Jesus should be circumcised, it kind of took up a lot of airtime in the very early days of the church. And it seems like some of the non-Jewish Christians in Corinth 
were tempted to get circumcised, kind of thinking it would make them more spiritual, maybe, uh, more acceptable to God. Uh, On the other hand, it seems like some Jewish Christians were ashamed of their circumcision. Uh, Everyone sort of went to the gymnasium and had public, the the men did, public bars in the nude. Uh, And so it's probable that there was some, some level of shame about this. Uh, and they tried to cover it up. And apparently, yes, there was a procedure for that. Uh, I don't know anything more than that. <laughs> but what Paul says is incredible. He's, what Paul says is incredible. Look at this, verse 19. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Uh, One writer has described this as one of the most amazing sentences Paul ever wrote. See what he does? He takes one of the defining marks of identity in the Old Testament and he calls it nothing. But then at the end of the verse he says, keeping God's commands is what counts. And a Jewish reader would, would kind of read this and say, but circumcision is God's command. So what's going on? What's going on here? Well, I think we're really helped by looking at a couple of other times that Paul says the same thing with, in a slightly different way. So you can see the references on your um, sheet there on the handout. They'll be on the screen too. Uh, in the letter to the Galatians, he says the same thing. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then keep going in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. See, friends, what's, what's underlying all of this, behind what Paul says here, is that when Jesus brought about, what Jesus brought about in his death and resurrection was nothing less than the fulfilment of God's great promises to redeem and restore the world, to bring about a new creation. Uh, he, he, he will fully and finally make all things new on the last day when he returns. But the amazing proclamation of the gospel is that that new creation has already broken into this world in him and in his people who are united to him. By faith, And what that means is that the signs and symbols of the Old Testament, which were always pointing towards this, this day, this new creation, to this great salvation of God, they, they're no longer in play, including circumcision. When the reality appears, you don't keep looking at the sign, because what that sign was always pointing to is, all, is now here. Uh, that doesn't mean the sign was bad or that it gets abolished. It is happily fulfilled because what it's pointing to is now here. And so Paul says the people of God are no longer defined by race. Whether you're circumcised or not makes absolutely no difference now. In Christ, he'll say elsewhere, he'll say in Christ there is no no longer Jew or Greek. Uh, He has torn down the dividing wall and created one new humanity in place of the two. And all of that, I think, really helps us understand what Paul means here in this verse and also what he means by 
obeying God's commands. Uh, you would have picked that up. The, the kind of parallel to this in Galatians is faith expressing itself through love. A great summary of what it means to obey God's commands this side of the cross and in light of the new creation, faith expressing itself in love. But I think we can be more specific than that, actually. Uh, this is quite interesting. Um, later in Paul's letter, in chapter 14, he's, he's going to refer to his own teaching as the Lord's command. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul talks about his own teaching as the Lord's command. The apostles were given authority by Jesus to teach. And we have their teaching, right? Authorised by Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have their teaching in the pages of the New Testament. And I think particularly in Paul's mind here as he writes this, uh, is um, the Lord's commands in this section about holiness, uh, and the main theme of these chapters. So what does it look like in Christ to obey the Lord's commands? For faith to express itself through love? Well, at least it means this. What we've seen through these chapters, it means it looks like this. It looks like a deep commitment to one local church family where together you take sin seriously from chapter 5. Uh, it looks like pursuing unity in Christ's church, not sort of taking each other to court over petty things from chapter 6. It looks like fleeing from sexual immorality and honouring faithfulness in both marriage and singleness. That's what counts. Not worrying about whether you're circumcised or not. You can, see the big thing that Paul's saying here, you can live a faithful life to God now in whatever situation God has assigned you, whatever your race or ethnicity, because in Christ the end of the ages has come. God has fulfilled his promises. And whether you're a Jew or a Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, you are, part, you are a part of this new creation now by faith and by faith alone. And your faith can express itself in love now as you keep the commandments of God. Okay, sovereignty of God, this new creation God Christ has brought about. There's one last reason that Paul gives us here. There's neither Jew or Greek in Christ, uh, because of all that he's done, the fulfilment that he's brought, there is also neither slave nor free. Uh, let's, I'll read from verse 21. Where are you a slave when you are called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called in, uh, to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Now, we're looking at some <laughs> troubling passages throughout this, this whole section, aren't we? That, well, that passages that can cause us uh, to be troubled. And this is one of them. And the question that often gets asked here is, is Paul justifying slavery? Is that what's going on? Uh, there's a few important things to kind of 
talk about in terms of this little section. Uh, we think of slavery and, and kind of instinctively our thoughts go to the African-American slave trade of the kind of uh, 18th century, 18th and into the 19th. Um, slavery in the ancient world, though, was, it was quite different from that. Um, not to kind of downplay the significance of it, but it was, it was a different reality. Uh, so it's estimated that one-third of the people in Corinth were slaves, and another third were, were ex-slaves, and then the last third were kind of freeborn citizens. So you've got two-thirds of the population who either are slaves or, or, or have been slaves in their life. Uh, so slavery, it was, it was still an oppressive and at times a violent kind of institution or um, so, sort of set up for society. But unlike that kind of 18th century slave trade that we think of, uh, many slaves held high positions in government and in education. Uh, you had traders and artists who were slave, and you could buy your way out of slavery. Um, some people uh, could buy themselves out of slavery but chose to stay in their situation. Um, so... All I have to say, what, what Paul says here is no justification of slavery. And, I, and we can talk about this more if you like, but throughout the New Testament, what you see are the seeds that would grow into the great abolitionist movement of the 19th century uh, led by Christians like William Wilberforce, if you know his story. But what Paul does here is he, just, he assumes slavery is the kind of norm in society. It's a, it's a reality that most of his readers are going to be touched by. And, and for Paul's readers who were personally impacted by slavery, this uh, wouldn't have been kind of off-putting for them to read. It would have been incredibly dignifying and actually wonderfully liberating for them to read this. Were you a slave when you were called, in verse 21, Paul says, and he says, don't let it trouble you. I don't think that's a kind of dismissive thing. Uh, don't worry about it. Just, um, I don't think that's what Paul's saying. It's not dismissing the, at times, horrible realities that came with slavery. But he is saying, don't put your identity in your circumstance. Even in the most demeaning social station that you could have. Even there... You have a dignity and a worth that cannot be taken away from you. Um, Paul teaches the same kind of thing in, uh, in his other letters. In, I've listed some references there. We won't go to them, but you can look them up if you like. But why? What's the kind of logic underlying this? Because even if in this life you are a slave to another human, in reality... In eternity, there's something much richer going on. You are the Lord's freed person. And the one who is free, you notice what Paul says there as well? The one who is free, they've got kind of no right to boast or look down on the slave because they are the Lord's slaves. They are the Lord's slaves. This beautiful picture, uh, uh, Jesus um, lifts up the lowly. And he brings down the high. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 23, he has bought his people at a price. Through the cross, he has freed you 
from slavery to any other power so that you might belong to him. You might belong to the one who, uh, maybe you know this, the Anglican prayer book puts it so beautifully, the one whose service is perfect freedom. Whose service is perfect freedom. So even a slave can live faithfully now in the freedom and dignity of the gospel, even in their circumstance. Paul says they have the freedom to change out of that, that bad situation, and, and actually Paul encourages them to do so if they can. But do you see the good news here um, that Paul has for slaves? They, they don't need to change their situation in order to belong fully and eternally to God. They don't need to change in order to have dignity and hope and peace through Christ. So much going on here, right? Uh, it's such a deep and powerful passage. But I, I want to finish by just asking you, what are your if-onlys? What are your if-onlys? The things that you say, if only that was different, then I could really start following Jesus. And then it would be much e- so much easier to do that. Then I could be faithful to him. Maybe it is something to do with social standing or wealth. Uh, maybe it's something to do with race or some other marker of identity. Maybe it's to do with family, with marriage or singleness. You know, if only I were married. If only I were single. Whatever it is, this is so helpful for all of us. God has placed you where you are now. In his providence, he has given you the circumstances of your life. And he calls you and he equips you to live faithfully to him. Not despite the circumstances, not after you've got rid of the circumstances, but in them. In them. This, friends, is the true source of revolutionary contentment. to know and rest in the sovereign goodness of God over your life, over every part of it. To know that your identity is not bound up in your circumstances, but in Christ. You are united with him by faith. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms. You live in the fullness of what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection. You are a new creation in him. Your identity is in him and to know that serving him, keeping his commands, living as his slave, that is perfect freedom. It really is. Freedom from fear. Freedom from being enslaved to other people in your heart. Freedom from judgment from others, the judgment of God. Freedom to live as you were made to. So, friends, let's just finish by hearing God's word to us today. Each of you should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned you to, just as God has called you. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we ask for your wisdom. We pray that you might help us 
to live in the light of these realities. We praise you as the sovereign Lord and we thank you that we can rest in your sovereign care. We praise you that you have brought about fullness in Christ, that all of your promises and plans and purposes are fulfilled in him and that we are in him by faith. And we praise you that to serve you is what we were made for. So, Father, I do pray for each of us as we consider the circumstances of our own lives. Please help each of us to live faithfully to you, to live as a believer in whatever situation you have called us to. Give us grace to know what that looks like and to put it into practice, we pray in Jesus' name.